You are listening to The Mortification of Spin. I am Todd Pruitt, as always, with Carl Truman. Um, I'm the pastor of Church of the Savior in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Carl, of course, is professor of church history at Westminster Theological Seminary, as well as a pastor at uh, Cornerstone OPC. Now, Carl, we were talking just a minute ago. Um, Cornerstone has recently reached a, a, an enormous milestone as far as OPC churches go. You now have, what, triple-digit attendance, which we, makes you a mega church within uh, the OPC. Is that right? It does. Three out of four Sundays, I think, we're getting triple digits uh, these days. Outstanding. I like to think of myself as you know, the Rick Warren of the, the Orthodox Presbyterian <laughs> the, yeah, Church. The Rick Warren, or, or the Joel Osteen of, yeah. of the OPC. And I'm sure there are others who think of me in those terms as well, but possibly for less flattering reasons. Yeah, yeah. Now, Carl, also, I mean, Carl, look, you, you write a lot of books, you travel the world teaching and preaching and you get into i mean you were just in brazil you are a celebrity i i i'm not a celebrity you are a celebrity I, i'm a truly important person you are but truly i'm not a celebrity but you are a celebrity <laughs> when i show up places with you people act like i walk in with this celebrity i mean people come and get your autograph i don't ha- i mean I, do i have to remind you of the incident in louisville kentucky i think the incident in louisville kentucky was predicated purely on the fact that they didn't want to speak to you <laughs> I wanted an excuse to avoid catching your eye at that point. So that could be. That could be. There is an intimidation uh, factor uh, for sure. But you know, you do. You you travel. You've been to Brazil. I mean, you've been really all over the world. You've you've spoken in Australia. All all kinds. Of, I mean, I I read books. Um, I go to Missouri twice a year to see family. Um, but you're the guy. I mean. You know, you're the reason why people are going to listen to this, if people listen to this. Some are born great and others have greatness <laughs> thrust upon them, brother. <laughs> yeah. I also have a very unhappy home life. My wife likes me to be away a lot. Yes, so, well, so. that's I, 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 I understand that. Now, and you've preached for me here at Church of the Savior. I have. Um, people love You've your not preaching. invited me back recently, well, I've noticed. I, but you but, are uh, going to be invited back. You, are, I mean, you have the English accent. People love that. You could... You could read out of the phone book and the people here would just think it was i mean we'd have revival you know it's the funniest thing i last time i came here i did just read out of the phone book and, and nobody noticed <laughs> See, well, i didn't it was quite realize remarkable. because we had like 20 people join the church after that and you didn't even get into the bees george so whitfield could reduce american women to tears by saying the word mesopotamia <laughs> i merely read the the phone book <laughs> anyway talking about celebrities yeah we have a true celebrity co-host indeed with us today uh this man is not simply professor of Christianity and culture at Lancaster Bible College. He is research professor yes. Yes. of Christianity now, and culture. Now, before you go on there, Carl, if, when you're a research professor, that means you don't have to mess around with students anymore, right? No, it means essentially, uh, in fact, the only reason why you don't sit around staring out of the window in the morning <laughs> is that it would leave you with nothing to do in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> this man is essentially paid to think beautiful thoughts. Outstanding. Uh, so anyway, his, uh, his, his name will be familiar, I'm sure, to, to many listeners. It is the Research Professor of Christianity and Culture from Lancaster Bible College, Steve Nichols. Steve, uh, we've known each other now for, I think, probably 10, 11 years. We first met. You were in your, your early 30s. I was my mid-30s. I looked in my mid-30s, and you looked about 18. Uh, I'm now in my mid-40s. 
I feel as if I'm in my mid-60s and I look as if I'm about 70. Well, you that's look, because you were Dean. That's where, that's where you made the but mistake. You look, if you had just stayed a professor, You look 16. Carl. Yeah, I was going to say, Steve still looks... What is the secret? Is it is it Botox? Hair yeah, plugs? Or do, you, do you have a picture in the, in the attic that's growing old while you remain eternally youthful? We know that DNA is sort of like a shoelace. It has plastic tips at the end. Every time a cell reproduces, the tips get shorter and shorter and shorter until finally they fray. Then the cell goes into senescence and eventually dies. I did make a deal with a rather shadowy figure a few years ago, but let's not talk about that. Steve, you've recently been working on a book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A uh, very famous name, very significant person. Uh, many Christians will know of Bonhoeffer if they've never read his theology. They will certainly know of him as a man of considerable personal bravery. He was one of the German churchmen placed in, in that most impossible of positions hmm. uh, yeah. to be a faithful churchman under the Third Reich a man who ultimately had to make some critical moral decisions relative to his resistance to the civil magistrate. And the civil magistrate, of course, was, was Adolf Hitler. I remember being in Germany a few years ago and being in Berlin and going into one of the old churches there and seeing some photographs of great church services of, of years past. And one of them, Adolf Hitler, is sitting mm. in the congregation and thinking to myself, you know, how as a churchman does one relate to this kind of context? So... Bonhoeffer, unequivocally a, a great hero, but I'm now going to ask you a bit of a hardball sure, question. Right. Yep. Was he a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to ask if he was an evangelical. No, no, I was I'm, already I'm, for that. I'm going for the, the, we'll get to the evangelical, but let's see. Was he a Christian? It seems when yes. I read Bonhoeffer, yep. there's a lot of things that I, he says a lot of stuff that I resonate with, but I'm never sure that he's actually right. meaning ah, what yeah, I mean yeah. when, when I read him. I think a couple of things, and I think this is really an important question to start off with, because as you say, you have the um, example of his life, you have the circumstances that he's in, and then you have this legacy of him. But the question is, is he a sure guide? Is he a safe guide? And I think that's a very legitimate question to ask. And so we need to look at his theology up front. And I think uh, as I've looked at it, I've tried to look at a couple of the doctrines that really matter in Bonifer. So scripture his view of justification or conversionism, if you want to say it, and then his Christology, or maybe his Christology should come before we talk about justification. So Scripture is a tricky one, of course, uh, it, but I think with Bonifer, uh, one of the things I've found early on when he was 19, actually, he writes this essay essentially castigating the view that Scripture could be understood as a symbol or Scripture is understood as some eternal abiding truth within it. So here he is as a 19-year-old, pursuing his doctorate, essentially taking on the establishment in Germany. As a 19-year-old. As a 19-year-old. So, so remarkably young. I, I think he was. Talent. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, this is another topic, but a lot of his insights right there early in Bonfer, as far as I can see, but he writes of Scripture as a divine revelatory fact that we submit to as the church. It is the Word of God that we submit to. So early on, he's got these sensibilities. I think he continues to hone them. Uh, in in um, 33, as you mentioned, with the, the Third Reich, and we have what's called the Reichkirche, or the German Lutheran Church, essentially becoming the puppet of the Third Reich, we have the Confessing Church. And Bonfer's going to write the statement for that. It's the Bethel Statement. And in the first version of the statement, he writes that Scripture is a fully valid 
witness. And he uses that language, fully valid. And then he goes on to say it, it must be understood not as a symbol. These are historical facts, etc. Well, the whole thing gets changed around by committee. Then it emerges as the Barman Declaration. And there's such a weak doctrine of Scripture in there that it actually frustrates Bonifer. And that's why he goes to London and has his long pastorate in London in 33. So as far as Scripture goes, I think early on, when he's a 19-year-old in 1933, and then even in the prison letters, he's always coming back to, it is the Word of God that's over us. Then on justification and conversion, uh, I think, too, that's a place for Luther— for Bonifer because of Luther. And he's always talking about justification from Luther and the need for justification. But here's an interesting point that I think will help, uh, or an interesting document I found uh, that I found really intriguing about him. When he was sitting in prison, he wrote up a sort of manifesto for the church. Once the church emerges from the rubble of all this, it's going to have to rebuild itself. And the first thing he wants to talk about is mission which I think is really interesting. You know, so, so rather than be sort of inward focused about the church, for the church to rebuild itself, it's going to have to recapture this notion of mission. And this is what he said, uh, right? The first point he says, and these are sort of outline points, uh, the need for mission to the heathen, not out of pity, but because they must have Christ. And then the second point is Christ must be preached, right? So how much more evangelical, right? Can yeah, you get the Carl. <laughs> so, so I like that about him, that emphasis, if that helps. So you would go beyond saying that he's a Christian then to saying that he's, he's conservative evangelical. Is that... I think, well, you know, it's one of these interesting points. I remember uh, one of your church history predecessors, my professor at Westminster, uh, Daryl Hart, used to not used to cringe at Machen being identified as a fundamentalist, and he used this category of theological conservative. And so I think if we could use that category for Bonifer, uh, it would, because he's certainly not an American evangelical. Uh, he's not a triumphalist kind of guy. He's not a culture warrior in the sort of American evangelical wouldn't sense. wouldn't have had Thomas Kincaid paintings. <laughs> no, he well. wouldn't have. Good, good. He actually appreciated I'm, art. He's growing on me. He's growing on me at this point. So. Well, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because in the um, – and there was a letter he writes in prison where he says something about the Flemish are, are so good at the landscape. You know, so, he, so he sort of had a he – was, he was able to have an opinion as he walked around an art gallery. It's a shame that he didn't live long enough to comment on Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> oh, he, I think he would have liked Petra um, and Striper. Uh, Striper, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I think you handled that question really well, uh, Steve. I mean, you sound surprised. Well, that well, you know, I mean, I, I, I was ready for it. I, I knew, <laughs> I knew it was going to come. So I actually did my homework this morning. And, and since I don't have students to teach, I have all this time on my hands. <laughs> well, and and you're you've, I, I suppose, recently completed this book, and it's for Crossway. Correct, um, Bonhoeffer on the Christian Life. Right, uh, it's actually in a series. Carl has yeah. a has a book that I'm really excited about uh, coming out, which is on Luther, Luther uh, right. on the Christian Life, yeah. and uh, it's a series that just has been a delight. Justin Taylor, Fred, Fred Zaspel's book, Fred Zaspel, yeah. is yeah. excellent. Yeah, my Fred, colleague Bill Edgar has just got one come out on Francis, Francis Schaeffer. Schaeffer. Steve yeah. showed me. Just a yeah, few the Francis ago. Schaeffer book. I just literally came off the presses with two days ago. Uh, Mike Horton 
is is writing on Calvin for us. I've actually got the manuscript uh, at home, so we're sort of working through that. It's a nice series because, it, you know, for one thing, it, it, we're trying to see it do a couple things. One is I think people sort of get locked into piety in the Christian life, and they have pretty much contemporary ver- visions of what that looks like. And I think a lot of Christians are sort of locked in, and some of that is even favors a certain disposition. And then that leaves some people wondering, well, how, I must not be all that pious or I must not be all that spiritual because I don't have X, Y, and Z in my list here. And so when we take a step back and look at some of these figures like Bonfer, like Calvin, like Luther, they're all looking at the Christian life very differently. And they're showing us there are different ways to crack this nut. And um, so I think that's nice about the series. And then the second thing is it's a great way to get into some of these historical figures. What did they think about living the Christian life, and how did they live the Christian life? So, so I'm hoping the series accomplishes those two things. Let me ask you this. Is it, is it even a debate as to whether or not um, uh, Bonhoeffer was a part of a conspiracy to assassinate Hitler? Or is that, is that pretty well established? I think he's pretty well established. I think the question is, to what extent was he involved? Right. And to what it, the, I think the bigger debate is, was he a martyr or not? Right. And then also, should he have been involved in the first place? Well, that was, that was my follow-up is... Was it right for him to have been Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think one uh, is his brother-in-law, Hans von Dananier, was the Abwehr officer who talked Bonifer into becoming an Abwehr officer. And it was partly because with the, with the seminary shut down by the Gestapo at Finkenwalde, it sort of went into the reaches of Pomerania. And Bonifer was traveling through these areas, essentially trying to hold this semin- essentially trying to teach a seminary to these seminarians in exile, right? So Donanyi had the idea that if he had this Abwehr credentials, he could travel freely. So it would benefit him. The other thing is Bonifer had a lot of great contacts. That's German theologians who went to Switzerland, and his British contacts. So those could be potentially useful for the Abwehr. So it was one of these, you know, both good for both sides here. So Bonifer becomes an Abwehr officer. But it's not very clear at all that he did anything. In fact, what he actually was doing was keeping track of numbers of Jews that were disappearing and then also uh, keeping track of Jews that were being deported. So he was basically arranging statistical data. That was pretty much the extent of his spy, <laughs> his spy work. Um, he, his actual arrest warrant was for uh, his uh, involvement in helping Jews escape Germany. I think people forget that. His arrest warrant wasn't for the conspiracy. Then, but that was ostensibly the reason. There was a sense that he was involved in the conspiracy. Dr. Bonfa? Yes? Good evening. Good evening. Until further notice, you're forbidden to speak in public, to publish your writings, and to teach. And you're to report to the Gestapo once a week. Is that clear? He was in prison all those months, along with some rather high-ranking officers, but it was after the Valkyrie plot and the full court press against the resistance movement and then the discovery of the so-called Zossen files and at that point, then Bonifer, Donanier, um, uh, a man by the name of uh, Canaris, who was actually the head of the Abwehr, and Hans von Oster, another friend of, uh, of Bonifer, they were all sent to the Gestapo prison in Berlin. And then eventually they were all hanged together at Flossenburg. Um, so Canaris, Donanier, they were the military officers, and their involvement in the plot was likely fairly substantial. 
but Bonhoeffer's a theologian. <laughs> he's a pastor. Right. He's not a military officer. He's not a spy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm, you know, and, and I'm a pastor, but I think I could kill certain people. <laughs> I mean, I think if it came down to it. Now, now, Carl over there, Carl's a lefty. Carl's from Europe, and uh, he gets he's all of his news from soft MSNBC, on these so things. he's a softie. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> he probably doesn't like handguns either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of a witty response when I'm lost for words. Stumped, wow. Um, what, are you put off by the fact that, that I said I could kill somebody, or is that... I mean, no, I just think that's the government's job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to, to Bonhoeffer and, and the, his relation to Hitler, of course, he stands in a, a Lutheran tradition. He's a Lutheran pastor, and... It's often said that Luther's theology gives no basis for resistance, and therefore Luther's theology has to take some responsibility for the disaster that was Germany between 1933 and 1945. My own reading of Luther would seem to indicate that really from, 19, from 1530, 1530 onwards, Luther's own thinking begins to change subtly. When the emperor refuses to subscribe the Augsburg Confession, Luther whether for biblical or pragmatic reasons, only he knows, begins to shift his political thinking more towards what we typically associate with John Calvin, this idea that uh, lower magistrates can resist higher magistrates. For Luther, the electors of the empire, because they elect the emperor, are therefore the source of his power. And therefore, an elector can resist the emperor because in a strange way, an elector is above uh, the emperor. Does any of this feature in Bonhoeffer's thinking? Obviously, even, even you know, whatever his involvement in the specific plots against Luther was, as a Lutheran pastor in Germany with the passionate commitment to various causes that he had, he has to have wrestled with how can I be a faithful pastor in this context. I suspect for him the, the radical two kingdoms option, which works very well in middle-class United <laughs> right. States America— is, well, it's not a non-political option in Germany. It's a highly political political option. So how does Bonhoeffer grapple with those kind of questions? Set the plot aside, but just look at it as a, as a, as a theological exercise. Uh, well, first of all, I think it's really helpful, your distinction you made there about Luther. I hadn't thought about that in terms of which Luther are you going to use to pin all of this on. So I think that's a really helpful piece. I think a couple of things. One is Bonhoeffer really wrestled with what is an appropriate nationalism. I mean, you see this even in some of his early Berlin sermons in 1932 before Hitler. And even there, you get a sense of he understands there is a there is an appropriate nationalism. Perhaps patriotism might be a, right. Might we be would a say patriotism, term. right? Yeah. And of course, for his sake, it's as you know, German is what he's talking about. But then. All, sort of all of that gets stolen by the Third Reich. So, you know, his question is not by opposing the Third Reich, is he opposing the state? It, I think for him the question does become by opposing the Third Reich, he's in favor of the state because the state has sort of been hijacked by the Third Reich. And he saw this – he really saw this back in thirty-three. Bonifer calls Hitler in 1933 a disfuhr. And you know how long it took the world to – Churchill, what he had to do to parliament to get England to recognize what a problem Hitler was. So here Bonhoeffer in 1933 is saying this. Yes. All right, so I throw that into the mix. I think the second thing to throw into the mix is he really 
he never gave himself a pass. And he, he actually writes at one point where maybe he's damning his soul by, by this. So he didn't enter into this flippantly by any stretch. Um, I'm not a, so those two things. I'm not aware, though, of any um, sort of forced thinking through perhaps the development of Luther on the church-state issue that then he enters in. In the ethics, he does talk about the four mandates and the role of government, which, of course, he was working on before prison and then in prison and never finished. It was published posthumously. Um, he does talk about the, the role of government there, and I, I think there you see him interacting more with probably sociology since Luther than directly with Luther. But, um, but as a pastor, he certainly wrestled with the, the pastoral pieces to all this. It's interesting there that you say he got Hitler's number so early. Yes. I remember reading somewhere in one of Karl Barth's letters or writings, he made the comment that he wished he'd taken Hitler seriously. You know, he felt guilty that he had not taken Hitler seriously at an early stage. And Barth, of course, comes out of uh, the Nazi regime pretty well. I mean, he's a Swiss theologian, so he's not directly connected in, in that national way. Uh, but Barth's record on, on Hitler, considerably better than his record on Stalin, one has to say. I mean, ironically, uh, of Barth and Brunner, the one who is consistently opposed to uh, totalitarianism is Brunner. Barth is making flattering comments about Stalin as late as 1947, which is really pretty late to have a positive view of Stalin. Uh, so it's, it's interesting and impressive that Bonhoeffer, even though he was caught up in this world, was able to, to yeah. see the problem. You say 1932 or 33? 33. 1933. Yeah, it was when he gives this radio address, and it was time. It's January. Hitler's elected, of course, 1933. Right. It was yeah. Actually, he gave an address the same day Hitler gave his first national radio address. And sometime, and the um, the address was Bonfors was cut mm -hmm. off, and the idea is there was some sort of conspiracy. Then it was really just poor engineering. Right. But it makes for a good in Germany. It makes poor, for a good poor engineering in Germany. <laughs> Maybe they sounds were like sweat. a conspiracy to me. To be honest, <laughs> Maybe they borrowed a British yeah, radio crew, British or American. <laughs> Maybe, but uh, so can, can uh, we say that on um, on the mortification of spin? That, that we're prepared to call Bonhoeffer a Christian and, and perhaps uh, an, an evangelical? I'd need to refer that to my presbytery, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I pastor a non-denominational church, so we don't have any accountability. So yeah. I'll go ahead and say that he is. That's um, great. He, he's really thrilled. Well, certainly the, on the account that Steve has given me, and he yeah. is a research professor, <laughs> I am. so I'm assuming it's relatively reliable. Yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, the other side of that, equation for me, and maybe this is one for another program, of course, is just because somebody isn't an evangelical doesn't mean that I can't learn from them. Right. My concern about somebody like Bonhoeffer is that too often we we make these people too much like us in order to feel right. comfortable with them right. Right. and actually turn them into something, therefore, that we can't really learn very much from. Yeah. I would say C.S. Lewis yes. is another example in, in, in North yeah, America. Right. Uh, it seems to me that some of the greatest thinkers in, in church history are that they're most useful to me at the very point where I disagree with them most intensely right. because they force me to rethink my own positions. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm happy to concede Bonhoeffer for that kind of status. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not sure that he could take the five hours of membership in the OPC. Right, but, yeah. right. Yeah. He was a happy Lutheran. He was a happy He Lutheran. was a very happy Yeah, Lutheran. that communication of properties thing would have been a real problem. <laughs> uh. 
he was a happy original Lutheran. Yeah. Hey, I do have a quote for you if you could if you yes. could let this ride. Sure. I think I think you you would appreciate this. This might this might warm him over to you. This is his first sermon. I picked this Carl because this is his first sermon he preached at London during his seven month pastorate, and he says, "It is because we ourselves have made the church and keep on making it into something which it is not. It is because we talk too much about false." trivial human things and ideas in the church and too little about God it is because we make the church into a playground for all sorts of feelings of ours instead of a place where God's word is obediently received and believed. So, wow. there you go. He would that pass OPC great, ordination that with that. Yeah, that's, uh, he could have written that about the American yeah. church today. That is yeah, a, that, that was a uh, fine, 19, fine statement. That was wow. 1933. So, yeah. Really good. There you go. Well, it's been a great pleasure to have uh, Steve on the program today. We're going to have him back on some future programs Mm -hmm. uh, and to talk about Bonhoeffer. And as I say, Bonhoeffer, whether he was an evangelical or not, in some sense is neither here nor there. Uh, The thing is, he is clearly an important Christian thinker. And he's also somebody whose life and death uh, lend weight to his writings. Right. Love him or hate him, agree with him or disagree with him, a man who lived the life he did and died the death he did, has earned the right to be heard. Mm-hmm. Even if we're not always going to agree with him, I think a man like that has earned the right to be heard. And that last quotation from Steve really did nail the, the superficiality that not only pervades them, those churches over there that we like to, to look at and poke fun at, but it's within our own churches right. as well. We all have our own trivia. We all have our own forms of entertainment, even if they're not necessarily in conformity with entertainment as is widely understood in the world. So, Steve, I'd like to say thanks very much for Ooh, coming on the pleasure. program today. Yeah, very much looking forward to the book. Uh, when is the book coming out, Steve? Uh, it should be out in June. So in June, look for Dietrich Bonhoeffer on The Christian Life, coming out from Crossway, written by the Distinguished Research <laughs> Professor of Christianity and Culture, <laughs> Lancaster Bible College. Uh, This has been uh, The Mortification of Spin, the podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Please visit our website, alliancenet.org, and our e-zine at Reformation 21. Thanks for listening.